With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Heavy metal, the way it was meant to be.
right, welcome back to Heavy Metal Mayhem. We kick things off tonight with a little cacophony, a band that featured uh, Jason Becker and Marty Friedman. Every time I hear Jason Becker play, it's just, it's heartbreaking. You know, he came down with Lou Gehrig's disease, I think, in like the mid-90s, I want to say. And uh, they only gave him a few years to live, and he's been kicking it, you know, a lot longer than that. God bless him. Matter of fact, he still puts out new music. He uses his keyboard. His father came up with this whole way of them communicating with computers and, and his eyes. I'm not sure about it or how it works. And, but I know last year they came out with a documentary on him called Jason Beck and Not Dead Yet. Won a couple of awards. I haven't seen it myself. I have to look for that to see if it's on DVD by now. I'm sure it is. I'd like to check that out because he was such a talented guy. And he still is. He just can't do the things he used to anymore. You know, he's confined to a wheelchair. And that's a shame. Nature is, a, is very cruel sometimes, you know. But some good music then. Like I said, Marty Freeman playing guitar and bass on that record. That comes off the Speed Metal Symphony record from 1987. And, you know, Marty's like the biggest thing in Japan since Kobayashi. There's nothing bigger than him over there. He's on cooking shows, on Good Morning America type shows, you name it. Uh, it's got Marty Friedman on it. Well, you know what? Here in America, I got a great show for you tonight. Neil Murray from Snake Charmer and White Snake and Black Sabbath and Gog Magog and a whole bunch of other bands. And Julian Mendez is up first from Heretic. And I think Julian said that uh, Brian Corbin might be calling him with him. I'm not sure. So if he does, that would be great. You know, we're like the Kmart of heavy metal. You know, you get two for one over here with us. So that should be pretty good. And they will be calling in at about 6.30. So we're going to keep the music flowing between now and then. Because we do have a lot of interviews tonight. And I want to get on as much as I can. So I thought we head to Belgium for a little acid with Lady Death. <laughs> Thank you. 
That comes off the Sacrifice record It was supposed to come out this week It looks like it's been pushed back to March 1st And they've been putting out one good record After the next over the last few years And this is definitely a classic one I know Tommy said about a week ago When he listened to it He wasn't as crazy about it As the last album But I think it's a real solid album I think Saxon fans are going to be happy with it I'll tell you, these guys The older they get, the more active they become They're doing fantastic, Saxon And uh, I was reading before on the internet There's a company called uh, The Rock and Roll Experience and uh, you pay money, they put you on a tour bus, and you follow behind a band for like three or four days. I think uh, Saxon has a package. It's like uh, 950 pounds, so you figure it's like around $1,400 in U.S. currency. And you get to follow the band in a tour bus for like four or five dates uh, across some places in the U.K. And it includes uh, like front row tickets to the show, which most of them are clubs anyway, so you're standing up. And uh, you get to meet the band if time allows, like a meet and greet, and they ask as many questions you want to ask them. So it, it doesn't sound like a lot of fun to me for $1,400. You can pay 20 bucks, go see them at the local club. If you go an hour before the show, you can more likely see the band walking around outside and ask them anything you want to ask them. So I think that's an awful lot of money for an, a very little, uh, you know, you get very little for your money with that. And it says that if, you know, space allows... They'll even park their bus next to the Saxon bus. It looks like you're a part of their road crew or whatever. It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. But, you know, I give people credit for coming up with ways of making money. Who would spend that kind of money to tour with Saxon is beyond me. But uh, who knows? They also got a couple of local UK bands that are maybe 50 bucks cheaper. <laughs> but I, I could have figured that one out. Uh, who knows? All right, well, you know, I, I've been, I was just transferring an old Warlock demo tape. I'm sorry, an old Warlock uh, bootleg show from like 1984. For an upcoming metal matinee that we uh, have uh, in about two weeks, I think, and we'll be offering that one up to everybody. And, you know, we had Dora on here about two weeks ago, and I love talking to Dora because when you speak to her, she has, like, the sweetest, most, the sweetest voice in the world. She's very mellow, very relaxed, so polite. But then, you know, when you see her live, you get a completely different person on stage. She's like an animal. And when I was listening to the old Warlock tape, it was from the hometown in Germany, so all the dialogue in between the, the songs was in German. And it sounded like you were at a Hitler, like a Hitler youth rally listening to it, the way she was screaming. And it was like the funniest thing in the world hearing that after just speaking to her. Du liest mein Volksgenosse. Vielleicht in der Zeitung. Eine Frau hat Selbstmord verübt. That's what it sounded like in between the songs, but it's a good, it's a good quality tape, and that's going to be up for grabs in about two weeks. Don't forget to tune in for that. But right now, how about some Hammerwitch? Burned at the stake.
Adventures with Society of Victims. And right now on the line, we have Julian Mendez. Julian, how are you, buddy? Oh, I'm doing fine. It's good to have you on here today. Well, it's a, it's a pleasure to be there and being being heard by the East Coast. And Can't wait for the upcoming gig. I, me and you both, man. This is the first time the band's getting to the East Coast. Yes, actually. Yeah, we're all jazzed about it. We can't stop talking about it. We're like little girls. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel but, the same way. <laughs> yeah, middle-aged little girls. <laughs> That's right. But, you know uh, what? It's a good. It's a good time to be excited again. You know, because I mean, we're never going to get that that the scene back from the '80s like we used to have. But it, it's on a high right now, which is pretty cool. And the fact that you can still put out records and travel around, and especially get here to, to New York, where and we've been waiting since the 80s for this. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Uh, yeah, back in those times, you know, pretty much uh, we had people uh, lining up stuff for us, and we didn't really have much of a say-so where we were going. We just kind of went with the flow of where it was. And at the time in the 80s, we were an opening act for a lot of majors that were over here and on tour. So, But uh, we're, we're, we're more than happy and, and really ecstatic to finally be out and and get into the East Coast, the New York scene, and 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 actually be heard and seen live for the first time. It's a it's a really it's going to be a real blast for us. It is, and you got a whole bunch of great. I mean, you got Viking coming over here for the first time. You have Attacker. You got Hellstar on the bill, and, and Wrath, who has been around for years, the back active again too. And it's a cool yeah. little joint there in Brooklyn, New York. So it's going to be a really good show. I can tell you that. Yeah, we have to we have to really thank the promoters uh, uh, for, for for putting this together because, like you said. Uh, Viking man, I haven't seen Ron since shit the mid '80s, the late late part of the '80s, and uh, gonna get to run into Michael G uh, from Viking as well, and uh, you know it's gonna be an old old family reunion. Yeah, it's a gonna metal be reunion. It's gonna be cool. That's right. How hard is it like to get the band, you know, out of the local area, out of California? These days, it's probably a, a challenge in itself. Well, you know what? It, it, unfortunately, uh, uh, like we said, it would never be like the the, the 80s and, and and up into the early 90s of the metal scene here in in LA. Much less America. You know, we're we're kind of a got a little hot pot of little venues that will actually play this type of music. And um, you know, you have to sort out, uh, sort, uh, seek them out. You know, and and join the. Um, uh, running into the new, the bands that you play with uh, during the course, you kind of like inner 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 uh, net with each other and uh, getting some contacts with venues. So yeah, it's it's kind of a challenge, you know, to to try to line up something where we can actually go ahead and uh, and 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 pull out uh, a good week of uh, of metal venues, you know, and actually be productive about it, you know, where it's more cost effective for everybody around. Oh, without a doubt. I, I know a lot of bands, they, they try to do the festival circuit, especially over in Europe, because, you know, you hit, like, a big audience, like, you know, instantaneously by going over there. Do you guys have any plans uh, to get out there this year? Is anything lined up? Yeah, absolutely. We we have the HOA, which is the Headbangers Open Air out in Germany, and um, and uh, we were invited to, to do that uh, earlier on uh, 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 last year. We already committed a year prior to that, so we're doing it this uh, this July um, over there in Germany, and uh, we we can't wait. That's another that's another uh, um, part of the world that we really wanted to play live, especially looking at all the success, you know, from like uh, Glenn Rogers and and, and Angelo uh, from Heretic, who were in high racks and showing us pictures from from the earlier days and and even up to their last tour when Glenn was in high racks. I've just saw the 
the, the mayhem of metal that's out there and, and, and all the people that just love it, you know, and uh, that was something that really drove us to, so, you know what, let's do this and let's go, let's go play out in front of a couple thousand, 20,000 people if we can, you know, why not? And um, yeah, that we're we're looking forward to that. But we do have we do have the HOA lined up uh, for this summer, and uh, we just uh, confirmed uh, for 2014 with the Sword Brothers. And nice. I believe I forget what country, but I I'm, I I don't want I don't want to say the wrong country. So I'll just leave it at that. The Sword Brothers Festival uh, was confirmed with on 2014. So things are looking pretty good, and that that's always good. And, and you have the record. It's been out for a little while now time of crisis and I tell you from the first time I heard about you know you're working on a new record it seemed like it was a matter of months before the album came out so it wasn't a lot of downtime in between the time you announced it to the actual release date of the record and it, you know, I think sometimes when you do things like quickly like that it comes out better because the album is, is just a top notch record the sound quality the quality of the songs I mean you guys just hit the mark I mean you brought me right back to the early days <laughs> well, thank you, Mike. Uh, but you know what? Yeah, you know, it was a blessing. Uh, at the same time, it happened all so fast when we regrouped and actually started rehearsing, and and let alone just rehearsing and trying to remember some of the older stuff and getting, uh, you know, Glenn and, and and Angelo, and and we were looking and we're in between drummers during this 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 time. Uh, we, st- we we signed on to a, a, a quick early early on little tour with Malice and Bitch, and. Um, and it kind of, it kind of, we've been forced and pushed, and thank God we have that that greasy wheel, uh, and that weight, and that hammer called Glenn Rogers. He just kept pushing and and, and pushing us into the right spots, you know. And I uh, thank him immensely. Um, but then getting Angelo on, you know, them are two, them are two working metal gods right there. They've just been in the game ever since, you know. And uh, yeah. and um, and we have to, we have to really throw a, a great shout out to Metal on Metal Records for actually putting that final push by giving us a, a, a date and a time to <laughs> to get things going, you know. And we got in the studio early on um, with just trying to get out uh, a song for their compilation that was coming out. That gave us about a month and a half, two months to really get it going. It went from that into a deal where we had to come out with an album. So we had time frames to do this. So it was kind of a big push. And, and we were still writing the album literally on, on, a, on a kitchen uh, um, uh, island, lyrically and changing parts as, as we were in the studio. Um, I think we had the, the drum track and the bass uh, solid, and then we just added in a and overlaid some guitar work and actually um, some ideas with the vocals. So it happened really quick, and I and I think you're right. It was kind of a blessing that um, that it came out um, the way it did. We're we're really happy, um, which, which really surprised me. And I and I'm and I love this guy, Brian Corbin. He says it's one of his best pieces of work that he's proud of uh, uh, to date, and with his discography that um, that is pretty vast, you know. And uh, and and I'm proud to be part of this album. Um, yeah, it happened really quick, but we're really happy with the album. Uh, it's definitely a solid record, man. It's like there's no bones about it. When you decided a couple of years ago that you were going to you know, get Heretic back together again, did you think, because you got, you got Glenn and Angelo and Iggy in the band now, did you think about getting the lineup from the Torture Nose of Boundary album back together? Did you think about like Bobby or Dennis or Rick, or, did you just, or was that just a lost cause, like losing touch with them over the years, or maybe they're not in the, into doing it anymore? Well, actually, you know what? You, you kind of answered some of it at the same time. But no, originally it was, and uh, when it was first came to play, uh, that's exactly what I, I envisioned was getting the guys back together. Uh, now, over the years, uh, um, 
even though we weren't in music together, I did keep in contact with uh, with Rick Merritt, the original drummer, and uh, and you know he's a successful chiropractor right now, and uh, it's hard for him to to get out and leave his practice, you know, to be sure. doing well, and and um, and and Bob, while he was MIA, uh, there was no way of getting a hold of him. Uh, we even threw a a calling out for Bob during one of our earlier interviews with um, um, the KNEC. And and asking anybody out there get a hold of Bob, let him know whatever you know. And uh, eventually, after months of that that posting, uh, people did uh, get a hold of Bob for us. But at that time, we already had our lineup. And he, he's out in uh, Houston, Texas, which uh, you know he still hasn't missed the chop. Uh, he came and jammed with us over here at uh, one of our our shows in uh, Santa Ana, and uh, it, it was cool. It brought back a lot of memories. And, um, and originally, we had Dennis in the band uh, when we came together with Brian. Um, he had a couple things going on, but uh, you know he, he had he had uh, he had to take care of some stuff and uh, and respectfully uh, um, he, he he couldn't he couldn't be with this this lineup. But uh, yeah, I mean early on it, it was just like a no brainer. Uh, Glenn Glenn was putting the push. Actually, he was going to be doing the the the, the, the latest uh, Viking album uh, that he uh, agreed to do with uh, Ron, and uh, he was on tour in Japan with Hyrax when when all this was going down. So when me and Brian got together, we're going, wow, Glenn's pretty busy. Uh, I know he originally wanted to do this, but we can ask him, you know. But it, 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 it was kind of it was kind of good that uh, uh, Brian reached out at Glenn and said, hey, man, we're doing this. And he said, no brainer, I'm going to do it, you know. And then when we, we toured with Bitch and Malice, well, Angelo was in a, was a bitch. And uh, it was during that time we had, a, we had a young man by the name of uh, Daniel Cordova who did an excellent job for us in the, in the short time that uh, when Dennis stepped down. It gave us about two weeks in between um, Dennis leaving and uh, actually doing the tour with Malice and Bitch. But uh, he did a great job. But when, when we seen Angelo, heard him, and kind of threw it out, you know, hey, we're, we're looking for a bass player still, maybe. And, um, you know, by the time we reached San Diego, which is the third night of the tour, it was already a done deal for as far as me and Brian and Glenn. We're like, hey, man, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's give the spot to, to um Angelo, if he's willing, you know, and and thank God he said yeah because you know we've all we've all been childhood friends uh, since the early '80s and mid '80s, and uh, it, it was it was just a no-brainer. It's a, it's a perfect fit. It, it really, I mean, I you know the, the band's gone through a lot of lineup changes over the years, especially in the early days, and I think this is your strongest one yet. I mean, you got the two seasons veterans that came into the group with you, and you got a drummer. I mean, the gig is like a powerhouse. I mean, and I must keep you on your toes anyway. <laughs> He's playing with him. <laughs> you know what? He, he, put a, he put a spark of, uh, of electrolytes into us when he got <laughs> in the band. He's a younger man, uh, you know, not to say that he's a kid, but, uh, you know, he, he, he's one hell of a drummer, man. This guy, this guy's got power for days. And if you ever felt his drumsticks, god dang, just curling one of them things is a workout, man. But, uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, no doubt. He's a, he's a spark and a ball of fire and, and, and everything on top of uh, everything that we do. The live set, is, is he really steals the show. Sometimes i got to step in front of him just so they can see me. Instead of <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, actually, he's a, he's a great drummer. Uh, um I ran into him at a, at a, just one of the local shows that we're playing. He was in a cover band, and uh, I just couldn't help gravitating to this power that was coming out of him. And and then I seen the showmanship, and I go, well, I got to know this guy and see, you know, for future endeavors. I think at the time I was trying to put back Stone Soldier, and um, 
I had him in mind, and uh, well, that that kind of fell through. But uh, but when when Heretic got together and uh, and we were um, going through looking for a drummer, I was trying to reach out and find this uh, young man named uh, Ignacio Capola. Uh, one awesome drummer, man. If you guys, if anything, come check check out our gig. Listen to some new songs. We'll listen to the the classics that we're going to be pulling out. But most of all, listen to this drummer, man. He, he's a powerhouse. Uh, that's good stuff. And, and you know, I was going to ask because like after the EP came out, you and the band parted ways. I know you had Stone Soldier after that, and that Invincible Metal demo it was like I just played a song on it off it before you came on the show. Yeah, I was surprised. I was on, I was on, I was on hold and listening to it. And I'm going, holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> Sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, I know that guy. <laughs> uh, that was a, that was a great demo tape, and it was a great band. Uh, but what happened with Heretic when you part Because it was right after the EP. You know, we're all looking for more. And back then, there was really no communication. Like you didn't know what was going on with bands on the other side of the country. There was no radio shows talking about it or magazines writing about it. Next album came out, and, and you were gone. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Um, there was a lot of things going on at that time. Uh, the industry was changing. Uh, but my understanding, and I found this out afterwards, which is kind of a bummer because, you know, I, 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 uh, I, I at the time I, I couldn't understand, but I could understand what was going on and the lineup changes and, uh, and um, what had happened. But uh, basically what it all boils down to is uh, uh, I don't think they were happy with me on the EP, and not so much as the band, but the management and uh, the record company, and, uh, and, and, and rightfully so, because I, 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 you know, I, I recorded that, uh, that, that EP with uh, a laryngitis. I lost my voice like two days prior to recording time. And, um, you know, I did all the remedies that I'd known to man to try to keep my voice intact or try to at least get some sound out for that EP. Um, but, you know, it was a sore time at, the t- at, at that time and, and, and a lot of misunderstanding. And, uh, and, um, but I, but I, I could see where they, they went out looking for, uh, um, uh, well, my cow was with us a lot, so... You know that, yeah. that that helped him a lot, and a great guy, man. Powerful vocals, and uh, yeah, I understood. And, and I kept getting dragged and 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 bothered by by Jim McDonald and Dan Sundell of Stone Soldier. Everywhere I went, they were they were asking me and asking me to be in their band. But you know, as it happened, and uh, things happened for reasons, and um, I ended up getting some some work in in a lot of great shows uh, in the act of Soldier, and uh, finding my inner violence uh, with. <laughs> yeah, with, with with that group, um, but uh, you know it, we parted ways. It, it, they needed a, another singer at that time, and uh, it, it was kind of weird at that. You know, like like you said, communication-wise, as far as metal, all you all we had to look were like local fanzines and uh, and uh, just people putting out stuff and little blurbs here and there. Um, it wasn't like a vast media like we have now. I mean, at the fingertip of. You can't even fart in a club because by the time you get home, there's 800 hits on it. On That's right. Facebook and you know, <laughs> it's a whole different world nowadays. But uh, you know, you know, and even when we were farted, and I was in Soldier and uh, and and Heretic was doing their thing, and I, and I was happy for them because they were playing some pretty big shows, and um, and uh, their album came out, and and unfortunately they they parted ways and switched singers again which is ironically which is happening over <laughs> at the HOA all that uh, all that uh, uh um 
interacting of family ties is going to be reinteracted over at the HOA because we just heard that uh, Metal Church is uh, headlining the HOA, same night we're doing it. And uh, that's going to be cool to see some of the guys. But uh, we were touring with them. We were touring with them when all this was going down, you know. Uh, it was Snare and Metal Church and us, so you can see. And, and even in during that part of those tours, um, um, Jason Newstead was uh, playing um, – in, in uh, Plotsam Jetsam at that point, and that's when, right. I, yeah, there, you know, it was a, it's kind of weird. I, I sometimes I think about it and I go, shit, man, I was right in the middle of all this history, you know, and um, it's 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 kind of weird and, and kind of surprising, but uh, but um, yeah, I, I'm I'm sorry, I, I started thinking about all that. No, right that's, that's I'm talking, I'm rambling, and, but, no, uh, but I, I lost track what we were talking about, but um. No, I, even when I was uh, playing Soldier and a Heretic was out doing their thing, when they were in town, they were always at the shows. Uh, I got some old video, and, uh, and Brian Corbin, Jim Miller, who was the manager at, at that time for Heretic, they were always at my shows when they could be. And uh, as a matter of fact, I even had Dennis O'Hara up on uh, stage with us during a couple songs uh, a few times with Soldier. Uh, the guys were always buddies, man. They've always been friends of mine, and... Uh, and you know, and we just never really talked about all that. You know, things went down and they they happened, and uh, they went on. I went on, and uh, in a big circle, uh, here we are again. You know, and that's just like everybody's saying when we got back together with well, however Tick got back with me, uh, I got a bunch of Facebooks going, "Hey man, it's like the song The Circle," you know, from Heretic. And, yeah. and it does happen, you know. And, and uh, we're all good buddies, man. We have we have been for for many years. You know, that's that's important. You know, like you were saying. You were part of all that. You were part of that scene back then. We all and you didn't. It wasn't kind of historical at the time because we weren't getting, making any headway really back then. But then when yeah. you look back, I'm like, damn, I was there when this happened. When I was a part of this. I was a part of that. And it's just incredible, you know. And like it says, whatever happened in the past is the past. And yeah. everybody was young back then. And you know, I can't tell you how many bands I speak to where the biggest complaint was like, well, what happened? How come you got kicked out of the band? How come you left? And it comes out to management record companies, the influence that they peddled over the bands back then, you know, like to make changes, you know, would be better for them, not the band, but it's astronomical because that's, they, I think they had a hand in ruining more bands than the band members themselves could have done on their own because they just wanted things a certain way and bands wanted to get signed and get albums out and tour and it just killed a lot of great bands. Yeah, yeah, but unfortunately, you know, as you, you, you get older, you, you got to really realize it's a business, you know, for uh, a lot of people that are that are pulling for the band. So uh, sometimes their, their their thought process isn't necessarily for the actual artist, but you know, and the artists at the same time, like like even now, we're all starving, so we just want to be put into the masses and, and be heard and, and make a great album and have a great audience. Uh, uh, to me, that's the biggest pay is when you have a full house and. And 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 everybody's loving you, man. To me, that's the biggest payday of all, you know, beyond Monomal. <laughs> Definitely. Well, well, getting back into the scene again now over the last few years, what do you find better about it today than you did back, you know, in the heyday in the '80s? Is there anything today that you say, you know, I, this is a lot better? I enjoy it more for this reason. You know what? There's not a, there's not an, a lot of pressure like back in the day when you're when you're younger and you're trying to get out there, and, and there's so many thousands of great bands. Uh, uh, fighting for 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 the the spots that you're getting gigs wise and 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 there was a lot of trash talking. I mean, there probably still is now too, but uh, you know everybody has their opinions and whatnot. But uh, 
right now it's 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 pretty pretty mellow and easy, you know. Uh, I, I take it as a grain of salt now, you know. I'm not so worried about everything being so precise and perfect. Like you know, when you're younger, you're like, man, we gotta kill it, we gotta do this, we gotta do this, dude. You effed up that note in the first verse and this <laughs> and that. It's not even a note thing anymore, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You forgot to do that punch. You're yeah, like, no, it's, it's not even that. Live shows are live shows and. And you tend to be, a, I guess, a little mellower as you get a little older. But uh, you know, as far as like the like um, the, the press and, and and what we're doing now, there's a there's a lot of uh, uh, instantaneous uh, um, uh, gratification. Like before I even get home, I got about 20 pictures from the gig I just did. You know, uh, already up on Facebook and uh and and other parts, which is great. You know. But it's a double-edged sword, too, because you might have an off night, and there goes that YouTube video right there. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You know. Yeah, it's a great time to, to, to be to be in music right now, you know. Um, fortunately, you know, your cities, if you have a scene, that's great, you know. And if you don't, you got to create one and, or at least try to get your people because we're so spread apart, you know. And um, But, but – but I, I'm enjoying it now this time around. It's 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 a beautiful thing. I, I think that's an important thing. You said that the pressure is off today on a lot of bands, so they're actually enjoying it more. I think they're producing better songs and better records and having that freedom and that control to do everything on their own like they might have wanted to back in the day. It's a great thing, and you know, I came into Heritage from the Torch Nose of Boundaries EP. But did you guys have any demo tapes out before? I know Mike Torres was in the band before you replaced Mike. Yes. But were there yeah. any demo tapes recorded with you in the band because? You know, tape trading was a big thing back in the 80s. I, I've never seen a, uh, a Heretic demo tape anywhere. No, pretty much I believe the demo tape for, for Heretic was the the, the uh, Metal Massacre <laughs> 7. And, okay. Uh, and, um, uh, yeah, they, there are some recordings out there. I know somewhere in my boxes of stuff put away, I do have some uh, rehearsal tapes, not necessarily demo because of quality-wise, but we never really made a demo. My demo with Heretic would have been the EP. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's about it. There's not too much out there. I mean, we do have some uh, – we, we got we got something coming out pretty soon, and um, and uh, we'll talk about that when I guess I'm not even supposed to be talking about that. But, uh, yeah, we do have some, some vintage stuff that, that will be coming out uh, when we decide to put it all together. Oh, nice. Uh, hey, Julie, I'm going to have to let you go, man, but it's been a pleasure talking to you today, and I can't wait for you to get to New York. This is like, you know, I had two dreams in life. One was to see Heretic in New York. The other one is to give my wife an orgasm. I got no luck with that, so I'm going to have to see uh, Heretic in New York. And so I can't wait for you guys to get here in a few weeks. I'm well, right like, on, Michael. I can't wait. I might have a new orgasm in New York just being there, man. It's been, a, it's been a dream of mine to be there and actually play into a New York audience. Uh, it's going to be great, man. I can't wait for you to get here, and I'm going to see you in a couple of weeks. But where can everybody find you guys on the Internet and to pick up an, uh, a copy of The Time of Crisis? Well, you can reach out at uh, hereticusa.com and uh, pretty much do that, or uh, Metal on Metal uh, Records and um, .com, and you can pick up anything and everything that you're doing and what we have out to date. That sounds great, Julian. Thank you very much, buddy. I'll see you in a couple of weeks. All right, Michael. Take, Take care. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, let's get you some Heretic right now. Off the Time of Crisis record. What a solid record. I can't wait to see them when they get here. The end of the world.
All right, Heretic, the end of the world. I want to thank Julie Mendez for talking to me tonight. We got an interview coming up in a little bit with Neil Murray from Snake Charm and White Snake. But before that, it's time for Mr. Ken Pierce from PiercingMetal.com. Kenny, how are you, my friend? Oh, how are you, Mr. Big Cheese? What's going on there in Mayhem Land? Well, well I'm sitting here talking to you right now, so uh, it couldn't be any better. Oh, so kind. So kind. Flattery. You know, it's it's there's a lot going on, man, and I and I, I figured let me just uh, just make a couple of quick news points. And you know, I always direct the listeners to 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 pay mind to sites like Brave Words or uh, or Melodic Rock and even Blabbermouth if they want to throw their two cents in on anything too, because there, there's just so many you know rock and roll and metal news things happening. But uh, you might remember that I was kicked around with a touch of the flu last week, right? And uh, yes, I did. It, it's, it seems that this nastiness was tinkering with the metal scene as well because a number of shows this past week, uh, the band Meshuggah did their thing without a singer. Um, mm-hmm. their, their singer Jens Kidman was uh, really knocked down by the flu and they had like a cardboard cutout in front <laughs> of the stage. And, uh, you know, and they said that the audience was you know, singing back all, all their stuff now. Meshuggah is one of those bands that's really technical, so kind of hard to imagine them doing this without a lead singer uh, to to break up all the uh, the time signatures. But they did it. He he made an appearance on Friday night in New York City, so uh, seems to finally be on the mend. So <clears throat> let's hope that that is long lasting. And whatever was going around even hit the Overkill camp because Bobby Blitz uh, had to cancel their appearance on Friday over at the uh, the Paramount Club. He didn't look well to me on fr- on Thursday when they were playing with Testament. Like he looked, like, all right. Blitz is very intense. You've seen Overkill a number of times. You see how intense he gives you a show, and uh, he just looked worn out, like very early in. And I and I was yeah. saying to myself, he don't he don't look right. This is not normal, you know. And uh, he apparently had uh, had something as well, so they canceled. But uh, the only good thing that you could come from that was that it got a Longer performance by Flotsam and Jetsam, who uh, were going over who were going over really well in New York City the night before, and I guess did great out in Long Island. Uh, the band is apparently back with no real label yet, even though they're being distributed by Metal Blade, and uh, it's nice to see them doing uh, doing a little bit more uh, over this uh, in this time frame. I mean, I never really followed Flotsam and Jetsam. But I did like what I heard that night, and uh, I don't remember the band really ever getting to New York City over the years. I think they were here quite some time ago. But see, it's just like what you were saying to Julian. You know, they'd never been in New York. You know, and that, uh, sure. And 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 that surprises some of the listeners. They say, "What do you mean you never you never made it to New York?" And people, the fans, don't always realize that this this is expensive to do. You know, so. But uh, so that's that. Um, you know, Mike. I know you wanted to lace up your giant gothic boots and get the cape out of the closet for the upcoming oh, yeah. Cradle Cradle of Filth tour. But uh, sadly, that entire run of dates has been canceled. And singer Danny Filth says that visa issues are the root cause of the cancellations. And right now, there are no makeup dates to speak of. And this tour was also supposed to feature the Faceless and a couple of other bands. So. Would have been a good show, and uh, you know that happens more often than not where bands can't get in there because of uh, visa problems. I mean, to me, a simple solution is just come from Mexico because everybody gets in here through Mexico. <laughs> well, 
or say you're on a student. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, I know you want to get a photograph of your rock of ages, so pour some sugar on Tommy. See, he's <laughs> supposed to be here for that one. Yeah. And he's not here. He's watching hockey. He was supposed to be here for that one. Because, guys, the Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp is going to feature Def Leppard this uh, this coming time. All right. And uh, I guess, yeah, you know, for for those who don't know it, it's a camp where you get to learn some tips from greats and then do a musical concert with a whole bunch of them. It's very pricey. But if this was your particular dream and you got the money to throw down on it to, to do a couple of tunes with uh, guys like this, and I say, go for it. Right? Money well spent, exactly. Uh, you know, you were talking about the tour bus. This is almost like following around uh, yeah. Saxon, only you get to actually jam with the guys. Yeah. And uh, did you tell did you tell the listeners about the give you fifteen hundred dollars and uh, pretend to be on the radio show? Uh, give me fifteen hundred dollars. I'll drive them to every Saxon show. I'll fly over there and I'll drive them around. <laughs> no, I meant to do the radio show. Oh, this, uh, this I wouldn't charge nobody. I, I, I'm embarrassed that I'm even doing this myself sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> now, now I know you got another interview, so do you want yes, to hear some shows? That are, definitely. What's going on this week? It's a crazy week. Uh, tomorrow, I don't have anything listed for tonight, so I'm sorry if there's something going on that I just did not know about. But tomorrow night over at the Music Hall of Williamsburg, you got the mighty Gojira playing with Atlas Moth and Devin Townsend project that's going to be a kick-ass show tuesday night gojira again is over at the irving plaza now this show was supposed to happen on the 8th of february but it was canceled because of the snowstorm that we got so um so the guys have rescheduled a night in uh in irving plaza uh, again with devon townsend and atlas moth and nice to see the show happening like only two weeks after it was supposed to happen on a, on an open night i mean there were you know, believe it or not, there were some shows that uh, got canceled in in the Sandy Hurricane that never came back. You know, and um, so fans had to uh, you know get their money back and wonder if they were ever going to see the the artists. So it's not always easy to reschedule a show. Uh, Nico Vega is kind of an alternative act, and she'll be over at Santo's Party House on Tuesday while the Alex Skolnick Trio does a special two sets over at a bar called The Stone. Now, Alex is currently on tour with Testament. He's taking a quick uh, – he's using his uh, days off. He's got – I guess he's got two days off. He's using those two days off to come back to New York and play two sets over at this place called The Stone. Now, much like the Iridium Club, this will be a ticket entry required for both sets. So if you buy a ticket for the 8 o'clock, you're not hanging around for the 10 for free. you got to buy a ticket for that one as well. So that is what's going on on Tuesday. Don't have nothing on the radar for Wednesday, but on Thursday, The Who is over at Nassau Coliseum. Haven't heard of a show happening at Nassau Coliseum in a while, since, uh, and, unless I'm just missing out. Ever since the Barclays Center, you almost seem to see like everything is shifting over there. You know, and uh, for those fans of The Who who wants to see these guys do their Quadrophenia show. Now, Friday is a night that you will either come away loving music or hating music because there is more going on on Friday than I have seen in a long time. 
I'm not going to tell you listeners to get a piece of paper because you could just hit my web calendar and see it all in living color in front of your naked eye. And uh, But I will tell you right now that Enslaved is over at the Bowery Ballroom. Richie Scarlet is at the Cutting Room. Almost Queen is at Highline Ballroom. Emily Autumn is at Gramercy Theater. The Cockney Rejects are at the Music Hall of Williamsburg. And Dope is over at the studio with the May 4th Massacre. Now that is a lot to do on a Friday. And once you've recovered from whatever you went to on Friday, you can go over to Moonspell and Marduk over at the Gramercy Theater on Saturday. Now that is an early starting show. Uh, Starts about 5.30 to my knowledge. And there's going to be a later evening performance by the Dirty Pearls. Starting to notice a lot of this happening at places like Irving Plaza and Gramercy Theater where they're double, doubling up the events. They'll, they'll do something earlier, and then they'll do something uh, late at night as well. So for those fans that don't like to pay attention to time, it's, it's about time you start to do that because you, you will end up wasting money, you know. So the venue doesn't care sure. if you didn't pay attention that a show was starting three hours before you got there. You know, they really don't. So, And that, my friends, is all I have for you. So I will ask the listeners to please come find us on Facebook and give our page a like. It's piercingmetal.com, in case you were wondering. we got a Twitter account, also Piercing Metal, and an Instagram of Piercing Metal NYC. I've kept it as clear and succinct as possible for your auditory and visual enjoyment. Wow, this is a great week of shows, it seems like, in New York. You know, it's a little cold, so it's a good idea if you want to go out and get indoors somewhere. It's pretty cool. A lot of stuff happening this week. Yeah, you know, and there's always a lot of stuff going on because, I, and you know, I can't get to everything. I really don't even get to everything. Did I ever tell you the story? We were, this is a quick one. My friend and I were at a, at a small gig watching a, a singer-songwriter guy taking a break of something different, and... uh we got to talking to the drummer after the show, and we had said how we really enjoyed the five places in the immediate vicinity of where we were. Yeah. And uh, we named the five places because it's down on the Lower East Side. So then the drummer said, oh, so have you never gone to – and he named six more places that were literally a stone's throw from where the other places we meant uh, mentioned to him. So it just goes to show you that – it. If you're one of those people that says there's nothing going on ever, you, you're really, really cheating yourself because there's there's more going on than you can even fathom. There really is. You know, I was going to go to the Moonspell show this week, but I just checked on eBay and I won my bid on the Arnold uh, Tort uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark Kenner action figure. So I have to pay for that now, so I won't be able to go to the show this week. <laughs> which fi- which figure? Arnold Tort. That was the Nazi guy. He was a Nazi in the Raiders of the Lost Ark that had the emblem burned in his hand. Clearly, you're breaking some kind of ethical boundary. No, here. I, just, I I bid on all the action figures the last two weeks. I've gotten them all now except for him. He was the only one I didn't get, okay. and now I got him. Can't so go like, for a G.I. Joe or a Superman figure, you know? I actually have the Mego uh, G.I. Joe with Superman. I have the Mego $6 million man I got last week. So uh, I'm doing pretty good in my auctions over here. I'm trying to get all okay. that collection back that I had when I was a kid. Most of my collections broke over the years. I, I, remembered, uh, I remembered some of them when I went to the toy fair last week. So 
Brings back memories. It does. Let me let you get back to the listeners. And everyone, you have a wonderful week, and I'll talk to you next week. You got it, Ken. Take care, buddy. Mr. Ken Pierce of PiercingMetal.com. All right, let me see. Let me. We have to do our demolition segment. We forgot all about it. Let's get that on right now, and uh, then we'll get that interview going with Mr. Neil Murray from uh, Snake Charmer. So uh, this week it's a band called No Quarter. So we're heading over to England. Go to the Heavy Metal Man blog spot and download yourself a copy of this demo tape. Here's the song Wildfire Woman.
Neil, this is Mike from the radio show. How are you? Hi, I'm good, thanks. Uh, it's, it's a pleasure to talk to you today. <laughs> My pleasure, too. Uh, it's great. Uh, you know, Neil, I, I don't even know where to begin to start an interview with you because you've been involved in so many bands and projects and albums over your lifetime. It's just astonishing the amount of work that you have out there. It's incredible. Well... I've just been around for a long time. <laughs> so, no, I'm just lucky to have played in some good situations. I mean, I haven't always been busy, and I haven't always been uh, in, the, you know, in the very top echelons of things. It's kind of up and down, but uh, along the way, I've done some good stuff. Oh, without a doubt. And I know, you know, Snake Charmer got the new record out. A lot of people think it's, it's it's a relatively new band, but this goes back, you know, to the company of Snake Days and the M3. It's kind of a continuation. Well, in a sense, except that uh, the M3 Classic White Snake finished about the end of 2006, and Mickey Moody and Bernie Marsden had, had worked together most of the times for the previous 15 years or so and I think they decided to have a break from each other so it was two or three years went past and then Mickey and myself thought it might be a good idea to start up something like that again playing the early Whitesnake stuff live and we recruited various other members and the band was known at that point as Monsters of British Rock um, and then we changed it to Snake Charmer after about a year and got some management and then a bit later on got the record deal with Frontiers. And it's been quite a slow process. So I would say, I guess, 18 months since we started recording the stuff on the album. But um, it certainly hasn't been a full-time thing, partly because we're all busy doing other stuff. Um, for example, Adam, the keyboard player, he plays with Ozzy and plays with Sabbath and various other people as well. <coughs> the drummer Harry James plays with Thunder when they uh, get back together again and the English band Magnum. Yeah. And myself and Laurie Wisefield, we're both in the Queen musical, We Will Rock You in London's West End. So I do that six nights a week, except that I can take off time when I want to if somebody offered me a six week tour I could go and do it so it's not a problem but uh, getting everybody together is sometimes quite difficult oh I can imagine well, you've been with the Queen Musical for a really long time now it's probably 10 years or better well it's yeah it's nearly 11 years yeah. 11 years wow it's, I mean that's probably completely different than being in a touring band on stage you feel like you have to be more regimented with like the, with the play because you know you kind of have to stick to a certain guideline. Well, definitely. I mean, Brian May uh, encouraged us to add our own stylistic things to some extent when we started off, but then you try various possibilities over the years and improvise here and there, but you can't move it too far from what it's supposed to be. So it, it eventually becomes pretty fixed what you're doing every night and of course you know the, when the conductor says go you go there's no hanging around sort of oh i'm not quite ready yeah um so yeah it, it it's not the same thing as playing live on stage we're fairly divorced from the audience and it's more like doing a recording session where you're playing the same songs 
every night, but they've got to be perfect every time. But it's still a great thing to be involved in and still doing really well. I mean, I imagine I've played to close to 3 million people <laughs> over the 11 years. That's incredible. That's mm. amazing. And, you know, in today's... The business today, it's a rough business compared to when yeah. you started. Not that it wasn't hard even back then, but it's, to have a steady gig, especially in the music field, is almost like a blessing today. Yes, definitely. I mean, I, I certainly feel for guys who are as good and better than me um, who are really struggling. Um, it's just not easy, I mean, definitely. Yeah, you know, 40 years ago, you know, with a little bit of talent and a little bit of luck, you know, you can make it and make a career out of this. Today, it just seems almost impossible for any, you know, young or up-and-coming musicians or bands to kind of break into this business where they can say, this is my job, this is what I do for a living. Yeah, I mean, back then, it seemed like you could survive on almost nothing anyway, and, and <coughs> excuse me, um, it wasn't such a money-making type of thing. I mean, it, it, uh, we could analyze it for hours, but um, certainly that doesn't seem to be the the way of, of doing anything cheaply anymore. Um, I mean, I guess you've got rich parents or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, hopefully real talent would come through. It's just that it's difficult to do anything now that hasn't been done before. And it, it's also, although the, the level of musicianship is so much higher in general, there seem to be less players, particularly that have real individual personalities, partly because they're you know, trying to be jack-of-all-trades in order to make a living. Yeah. But it, but you know that if there's another Jimi Hendrix out there, I, you know I don't know where they are. They're probably not into music. I don't know. It, I hope they are, but uh, they could be doing something completely different. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, you play multiple instruments. The bass is, you know, I mean, your main thing. Did you ever get to a point where you said to yourself, you know, I know all there is to know about, you know, my instrument, or do you still find yourself <laughs> learning new things today? I don't think I know anything really. <laughs> no, to be, I mean, it's tricky because, um, you know, you can be too good at something. I mean, if we're talking about rock and roll, sometimes I think that the best music is made by people who are at the extreme limits of their ability. And if their ability isn't that great, but they're, they're actually kind of expressing themselves in a very interesting and unique way because they're kind of just striving to get something out. That's better than being, you know, an incredible virtuoso who's been to Berkeley and, you know, can play every scale known to man at a 1,000 miles an hour. I mean, uh, the point of it really is to communicate with the audience, whether it's live or recorded or whatever, and... You know, you can be too good for your audience in in terms of, uh, you know, people just responding and it becomes a bit more of an intellectual exercise. And I don't really enjoy music like that. I mean, uh, you know, I can enjoy listening to people who are absolute masters of their instrument, uh, but actually the, the more... Um, uh, music that was created by geniuses 
tends to be, I don't know, something more like classical music or jazz or, or, or something. And um, sometimes that's quite different from an audience who just wants to get off on something. Sure. I mean, I'm, I'm making it too black and white. But certainly, on the one hand, I'm not really required to be a, a, an absolute virtuoso in the music that I play. What I try and do is, if possible, inject something of my personality into the music I play. And sometimes it's just not possible or not necessary. It's not what's called for. If something requires a really basic for to the bar bass line that's fine that's what i'll play you know hopefully you'll do it with the 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 conviction and the sound and the the you know the timing that that brings it off as well as it can be but you know i'm not interested in showing off the whole time and i don't really enjoy listening to people who are doing that you know all the time Sure, yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. It's you know, if you go back to the beginning of your career, I mean, not the very beginning, but like you go back to Hanson and Coliseum Two and National Health, you were very rooted in, in the blues and, and the rock and the jazz all mixed together through those different bands. White Snake was a continuation of that and you know, someone like myself who grew up listening to music in the seventies, there's nothing like that classic White Snake lineup with you, Bernie, Mick in there and David. It, that was a good hard rock and blues band. It had a little bit of everything. But later mm. on, towards the mid-'80s, White Snake, you know, tried to, like, latch on to the heavy metal scene. You know, I guess the break here in the U.S. Were you ever comfortable being considered, like, in a heavy metal band? Because you also worked with Vow Wow and Paul Diano. <laughs> I always pitched you more as that bluesy rock, you know, guy. Well, it's it's difficult because, you know, I enjoy hard rock and, and some heavy metal, uh, certainly playing pretty aggressive stuff on stage is part of me. Um, you could also say that bands like Sabbath, you know, have their roots in the blues, even if they take took it somewhere else. Yeah. Um, you know, you're kind of going back to the same wellspring in the mid-60s, really, with some influences. Um, I I do like playing lots of different kinds of music. <coughs> um, and I was perfectly fine about Whitesnake changing direction because we'd kind of exhausted that style of music by the time of St. Sinners, which came out in 82, um, you know, we'd done quite a few albums with very similar kind of style. And it wasn't, I mean, there, there certainly was an attempt or a, or a desire to, to break America. And it was frustrating that we hadn't done so with the earlier versions of Whitesnake. Um but I was perfectly happy to play heavier music, you know, at that time. Um, the the lineup in 1984, which kind of mounted really a four-piece with my staff, Cody Powell, John Sykes, and David Cordell, we did a certain amount of touring in the States, but virtually nothing anywhere else, maybe a bit in Japan. And that lineup was a kind of 
a really a, a new white snake which didn't quite survive into the 87 album um in terms of personnel but then it was after that that it really changed into being a bit too hair metal and a bit too glam and a bit too concerned with image um so i mean i mean i'm in two minds for as far as my bass playing goes the earlier period uh showed it off a lot better yeah. um but then again you know that doesn't mean i hate everything i did after that <laughs> um you know, I, I think Snake Charmer harks back to the earlier period a bit more, but it wasn't a conscious thing to do that. And because of that, therefore, there's a slightly more room for, you know, some interesting bass runs um, or a bit more groove, let's say. But, you know, every band is a product of the era that they come out of. And I guess White Snake and the other bands that I was in in the 80s were trying to be relevant to that period and everybody had big hair and everybody had kind of glam clothes on and sure. you know it became much more Americanized and a lot more kind of metal than it had been before and the the kind of blues rock thing was totally not in vogue anywhere at that at that moment in time it's just that later on it People kind of appreciated what was uh, what wasn't there anymore, as it were. It's always that way. It seems you know you don't know what you have until it's gone. The old song yeah. goes. It's it's yeah. so true. And but you know, early on in the days of White Snake, I mean, I mean, you talk about the late '80s with the band. Even when like you were leaving and after you were gone, it's kind of always been David Coverdale's band, but. Not you know towards the late eighties up till today it's more like it's he's white snake and everybody else is a high gun wear in the beginning even though it might have been like his you know thing to begin with it felt like it was more of a democracy amongst all you guys that it was a yeah. band and not just David you know Coverdale's white snake yeah no that's right um um God all sorts of different factors involved in that I mean he had done two solo albums basically collaborating with Mickey Moody so they started up White Snake but although David had been in Deep Purple he was still very down to earth I mean he was very charismatic front man and uh, you know fantastic singer but the band itself was just a bunch of mates really um, it just had this very powerful guy <laughs> at the front, which is kind of how it should be. I mean, if I see a band where the singer is more of a kind of, I don't know, hired hand himself, that never seemed to quite work. I, I really want the the lead singer to be pretty much the leader of the band, if possible. Um, but it must have been frustrating for David, given that he'd been in this huge band in the mid-70s to then have to really struggle to try and get any kind of recognition in America. And, you know, we were slightly held back. I mean, for example, the management was the same as the record company was the same as the publisher, which is not a, a good situation to be in. Sure. So he had to buy himself out of that, and that was when... Geffen 
really thought, well, we can make this guy a huge star. And even then, I mean, David was quite uh, conservative in a way and took a lot of persuading that he needed to change the lineup or change the image or get rid of the old guys or whatever it might be. Um, so it wasn't like he was, you know, in a big rush to get rid of, you know, what he had quite a lot of success with in the rest of the world. But um, I think he also felt that we'd done the blues rock thing enough. So I was, you know, quite understanding that he might want to move on and do something else. But uh, I think the big problem was that they, in the late 80s, early 90s, got so identified with kind of glam metal, as it were, that, you know, when that faded out and, let's say, Guns N' Roses and Grunge came along, yeah. suddenly Whitesnake is seen as totally dated. And in most people's minds, <coughs> that's what they think of when they think of Whitesnake, unfortunately. That and but at the same time, because that album was so successful, I think because David relocated to America in the mid 80s and has been totally, uh, you know, American resident ever since, he only really mostly is told by the people there, you know, we only care about the band from 87 onwards. Yeah, you know when he comes over here, I'm sure he gets some inkling that people like the earlier band, but he's he's too stuck into the situation, you know, with his hired hands. Even if, if some of them have been around for quite a long time, um, and I mean it, it impacts on us in, a, in a, the other ex-members because he's in the ideal situation of being the lead singer with the name of the band. And, and if we don't have the lead singer and we don't have the name of the band, then even if we're playing the songs, uh, it's quite hard to establish ourselves. So that's always been difficult with the company Snakes, M3, and now this now Snake Charmer, that, you know, we're not encroaching on Whitesnake's territory because we sound completely different. Um, but, you know, people won't come to see us, whereas they will go and see Whitesnake. <laughs> exactly. The, 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 so the we singer. have to try and change that. Sorry, go on. No, I thought, I'm sorry. No, but yeah, because a lot of times the singer of the band, they always count them as a, as a focal point. They, mm. so they, they kind of tend to follow that. But when people hear the, the way the old songs sound, the Whitesnake by Snake Charmer, they're going to be impressed. It's a different world today. People... I mean, like you were saying, the music felt dated, you know, before the, the 87 record. Is that something that you've noticed, like, you know, even in England or throughout the rest of the world where you've played? Because here in America, I mean, it's like, you're good today, tomorrow you're no good anymore. We just follow trend after trend, and and we just abandoned everything in the past and just move on to something new. And it's, I don't know if it's like that anywhere else, but it's definitely like that over here. Well, it is. I mean, it's certainly the same here, and it's a very youth-oriented thing. But there is a there is room for older bands and older music. You just got to find your audience and and you know get them to get out of their 
living room watching TV and yeah. come come and see you or, or buy your album. Um, you know, I, I personally know that, that there are people who want to hear Whitesnake songs as they were 30 years ago, 35 years ago even. Um, <clears throat> but you've got to let those people know that you exist for a start and that, that that they can come out and see you. And it's actually very hard for us to <coughs> to get tours. So it's kind of chicken and the egg. If you could get out there and play, then people by word of mouth will find out about you. But um, if you if you can't get out there and play, <laughs> then it makes it so much harder. I, I mean, obviously doing new material on the album, which is, you know, along the same lines, though not deliberately so. You know, we haven't sat down, oh, how can we sound like Whitesnake? It's just come out similar to that because of, you know, our influences and the way we play and the way people write songs. Um, but hopefully if people hear Snake Charmer on the radio or on, you know, on YouTube or whatever it might be, they'll take a chance and come and see us as well. True. Well, you're going to sound like Whitesnake because most of you are Whitesnake. So well, like, only a couple. I mean, oh, three, of, three of us are, are sort of oldish guys, but the other three are, you know, a bit younger and don't necessarily share the same influences. I mean, Adam Wakeman is quite a progressive rock keyboard player, yeah. you know, and, and heavy metal. And then Harry James, yeah, I mean, I guess he's from the sort of British rock school, but, um, you know, he'll, he definitely came out at least 10 years later than I did. So you're a product of your age group. And then Chris is quite an AOR-type singer. It's just the when you get us all together... You know, we hopefully take the positive aspects of each person and put them in a big pot and stir them up. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there'll be a... Uh, well, I mean, I can look at some of the songs on the album which Mickey came out up with the basic idea, and that will probably... Those songs will probably sound a bit more Whitesnake-like than the ones that Laurie came up with the basic ideas for. But... They're not poles apart. You know, there's yeah. still a lot that we have in common, a lot of shared influences. It works great with uh, Snake Charm, I have to tell you. But like I said earlier, you, know, you play with so many people. I mean, just to name a few of the guitar players, I mean, Brian May, Eric Clapton, Jeff Beck, Tony Iommi, Gary Moore. But Mick Moody is a guy you've played with on and off for almost your entire career. I mean, at least since the White Snake days. What is it about playing with Mick or wanting to work with him that keeps you guys, you know, coming back together for different projects and bands? Oh, that's hard to say. I mean, I I think for both of us, Whitesnake, well, particularly over here, is the band that we're most associated with and, and most represents us, um, or at least that aspect of, of our playing. I mean, Mickey and hopefully myself, you know, we're both pretty versatile and he he in particular can play almost any style of guitar really and he's very um underrated but 
it, it's more that we feel very comfortable playing straight blues into rock, into something slightly more funky, something, you know, it's just a, quite a wide range of things that we can do. And we're both, um, hopefully, get off on each other's playing. Um, <laughs> I mean, there are, there's thousands of people I would love to play with, there's lots of guys that I've have had the luck to work with and you know i would jump at the chance to work with again so uh, most of them um but you know if if something seems to work then uh, might as well keep on doing it <laughs> that, that's so true and that uh, you've you've been in a lot of bands that you've been with from the beginning that you started up in and there are a lot of bands that you've joined you know that have already been out for a long time is it difficult when you step into a band like, especially like Black Sabbath, where you kind of have to like stay faithful to Giza's bass lines? But I'm sure you get a little bit of your own. But is it more difficult stepping into an established band and having to recreate what somebody before you did? Well, it, I don't know if it's more difficult. It, 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 it's certainly different. And, and I will say that in the last twenty, twenty-five years, I've possibly done too much where. I'm having to be somebody else, like John Deacon and mm. uh, Geezer, obviously. But there's been other situations too, you know. I mean, uh, the the theme because you're playing older music for older people in general. You're not doing something new, fresh out of the box of your own. It does tend to be that you play a lot of covers, and the challenge. And the satisfaction sometimes comes from getting it just right. I mean, if I play a Motown song in a, in some band, it's great to try and be James Jameson. And then if I play a Who song, it'd be great. It's great to try and roughly be Don Entwistle. But in the end, it's nice to do your own thing. Um, and you know, there've been situations where I've certainly being an equal member of the band and have you know as much possibility of playing my own bass parts as as any other but the songs don't lend themselves to that whereas white snake and snake charmer tend to lend themselves a bit more to putting something i don't know slightly different in slightly more neil murray as it were um, but, uh, you know, I, I tend to enjoy playing if the audience is getting off on it. So if I'm playing with Brian May and the audience is going nuts, I'm not kind of sulking because I'm not playing my own bass lines because I'm having to play a Queen song, for example. I mean, I'm just there in the moment um you know listening to an amazing guitar player and probably playing with other amazing musicians so you know i can't complain too much it's hard i know, i know especially with everything you've been through and everything you've done i mean you you've played with some characters i mean who was like the great was it Arthur brown peter green paul diano these guys are like characters in their own mind i mean was any one of them like over the top 
Well, I, I even did, I did a couple of days with Ozzy, but he, <laughs> <laughs> no, just rehearsing, helping out. Um, you know, I think sometimes people's image is quite different from what they really are. Um, I'm not particularly a wild sort of person and I wouldn't bring that out of people I wouldn't be the guy who goes out drinking and whatever else until six in the morning and encouraging people to do really crazy things so I probably don't see that side of people so much um, in the early white snake days we used to do some very silly funny things I mean quite kind of on rock and roll uh, mostly Mickey and Bernie who would play off each other and just, you know, uh, not act like rock stars in the slightest. Um, and I wouldn't be very good in a sort of Guns N' Roses type situation where people were either kind of completely out of it or acting like, you know, gigantic stars, you know, where the world revolves around them. I mean, I like... I like fairly normal people who just happen to be pretty good at what they do. Yeah. So uh, I'm, usually when people ask me for anecdotes, my mind goes blank. <laughs> um, but it's partly that, you know, I, I haven't been in any of those completely off-the-wall bands where, <laughs> where how crazy people are and how rock and roll they are is like the main focus of attention. The the bands I've been in, it's the focus has been on the music, generally speaking. Yeah. I mean, we've had fun. I've had some great times, certainly. But uh, nothing too ridiculous, I'm afraid. No, that's, that's okay. I understand completely. You, you know, I, I love... The playing in the rhythm section between you and, and Cozy, and even in Bobby Rondinelli, and mm. those, some of those sounds like the Empire, Cage, and the Rondinelli record, I love them. As a fan, it killed me that they were like more like projects where you guys got together to record, and we never got to see you know those songs played live. Yeah. Is that something that bothers you that you know you know a lot of these things are just kind of like albums, you're never gonna get get out to go play them? Well, partly. I mean, sometimes not all of them have been my absolute favorite things. I mean, some of them, yeah, certainly. But um, it's more disappointing that they don't sell and they're not promoted or that, you know, people aren't interested or whatever the reason. You know, you do something and you hope a lot of people are going to hear them at least, even if they don't like them. <laughs> but, you know, quite often there's just so many albums come out and it almost doesn't matter that you've got really top players on them. They just kind of sink without trace if you don't have some massive marketing machine behind them. And it's a real shame. But I guess that there's so much music and so many albums that there's no way that everybody can, you know, be successful. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's frustrating because quite often you take something that you've recorded and by the time you've played it live half a dozen times, it's so much better. Or you think of things or you do something on the spur of the moment that's much more inspired than sitting in a little room with some headphones on. <coughs> um, so that's, uh, it's a pity that often you don't get a chance to 
play stuff live and even better would be to play it live before you record it but then you run into that thing of oh, what's this oh, yeah. I don't know this song you know so I mean you have to bear in mind what the audience has paid to come and see as well so it's, sure. it's tricky to to balance that up you know you want to uh, stimulate them and but also particularly as people get older they kind of want to hear the stuff they know and you know that reminds them of their wild youth or whatever um, so you can't always go out and give them new stuff all the time yeah i understand yeah there was a time in, in this business when records were used just as a promotional material to you know to get the bands out on tour and for the live shows that's you know where where it always was is with the live shows, and I know, like I said earlier, it's hard to put a tour together today between schedules and just the, just the money aspect of it is difficult and getting people mm. to go out. It seems like years ago, you know, going to a concert, whether it was at a club or an arena or at a stadium, it was an event. You look, you bought your ticket, you couldn't wait to go, you hung out with your friends, you had a couple of drinks, and you were happy. Today, it's like a business. They want you in the club, here's, take the money, and then get out as soon as the band's over. There's no more of that camaraderie, that feeling where it was your place to hang out in. I think that affects a lot of the, the consciousness. <laughs> I guess, well, in all aspects of the music business, that when people discover that they can make money out of it and a ton of money, then it starts being invaded by the the money men and the people who aren't interested in the creative side of it. Um, and, you know, often the musicians will go along with it because if it means as a side issue, they'll get more money. They're probably happy to do things that actually uh you know a slightly a nail in their own coffin um and you might not realize at the time but um i don't have the answer unfortunately um certainly the, the difficulty for somebody like me is like what was exciting and new and different when you're 25 and you're all together in a little minibus and you know driving for hundreds of miles and you know not getting much sleep and stuff uh for virtually no money you're happy to do that and particularly with white snake we went from a situation almost like that to within a few years playing really big places and doing really well and that was great to be part of that trajectory but then when you come down the other side and it's 30 40 years later and you're in a little minibus all cramped and cold and driving for hundreds of miles and, you know, playing to 30 people, suddenly it's not exciting. You're not in your kind of youthful gang anymore. It's yeah. just, just something to be kind of endured or, or, you know, you might be playing to a load of 45-year-old guys instead of, 20 year old girls yeah. <laughs> which also is not quite as appetizing you yeah know. not that i'm knocking it but uh <laughs> oh, i know how you, feel. <laughs> you know there's all sorts of other things to, to that are part of the scene which may well be part of the scene for a current young band <laughs> that it's all new and exciting and glamorous and sexy for them and for us, doing the same exact thing can't be the same because it's not new to us and it's not going to be sexy and it's not 
going to be, you know, us against the world, <laughs> like it is when you're in a in a band that's trying to make it for the first time. It's outside of all those difficulties, you know, that come with being in the business and the scene and traveling. Do you still feel the same way today as you did when you were twenty something years old, picking up that bass for the first time, writing music? Is that feeling still the same? Is it still a thrill? Is it still enjoyable? Um, sometimes I wouldn't be able to say honestly it's like that all the time. I and mean, quite often it's it's a job, and you try and do a job really well. I mean, the times that you hope will happen is where you and the band and the audience are kind of clicking all at once and and you'll play something that will never happen again and never happened before just at that moment and it's just total spontaneity or, or something kind of magical happens and it's just not possible for that to occur very often. So you're hoping but you're not expecting that to be the case all the time um you know sometimes you're not going to enjoy it and but but it's made up for by the fact that you're making a living or it's made up for the made up for the by the fact that the audience is really enjoying it and you know you're there to serve them but uh you know i certainly feel that if I really didn't enjoy going out there and playing and, and creating and, you know, trying to be a good bass player, then I'd certainly give up and go and do something else. Well, I'm <laughs> glad that what, you did <laughs> <laughs> All fans are glad that you didn't. And, Neil, hmm. I'm, I'm not going to keep you much longer. Okay. I have to say one thing. You're a very humble guy, and you spoke very highly about a lot of the musicians you've played with over the years today. And... As a fan who's been with you since I picked up that National Health record in the late 70s, <laughs> we feel the same about you. You're legendary in this business, and we're glad that you've been giving us all this music for the last oh, 30 years. <laughs> and the new Snake Charmer record is out now, and everybody... Tell me a song to play off the new record. Which is one of your favorite songs? Uh, oh, God, instantly, to be asked. Um, oh, you could play the single as you might as well play accident prone that's as good as any all right you know it's it's not it's not hard to choose because i don't like any of them it's like i like them all so it's hard to choose <laughs> they're like your kids i understand <laughs> well neil I, I appreciate you talking to me today thank you very much my pleasure best of luck and i hope we can see you here in america soon uh, i hope so too all right neil take care thank you okay bye, -bye. bye then all right, I want to thank Neil Murray. I want to thank Julian Mendez from Heretic. I had a great show today. Thank everybody for listening and tuning in. How about we close things out with something off that brand new Snake Charmer record? I'm going to get on a different song because I don't like playing what everybody else plays. So here's nothing to lose.
Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.